Ah, you smell that, you too. I'm that's sorry, Christmas. I had beans for lunch. Oh, that's Kyle. not Christmas, Kyle. Kyle. Today is Christmas. <laughs> but more important than that, it's the seventh night of Hanukkah. So Merry <gasps> Hanukkah, everyone. Aww. And tomorrow is Kwanzaa. Oh. Merry Kwanzaa, everyone. Yeah, thank you. That was a good response. <laughs> and just like every good Christmas special before us, that is exactly as much time as we'll spend on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey there. Welcome to Butter No Parsnips. This week on Butter No Parsnips, your hosts Seth Glixman, Emily Moyers, and Kyle Imperator get together for a holly jolly good time with Falderall over some funny phonetics. Join them, won't you? As they stuff each other's stockings with etymological expertise. Whoa! Okay, hey! Whoa! It's us! Oh! oh. <laughs> We're at it again! Guys, hey! You two let me out of my chambers twice this year. <laughs> we did. Did three ghosts visit you last yeah, night? We're, we're kindly uh, patrons. patrons. Yes, our heart grew three sizes. Our singular heart that we share. Yes. yes. That, yeah, that's some more butter no parsnips lore is that you two are yeah. connected at the heart. At yes. the heart. But hey, everybody. I'm Seth Glixman, here with your typical hosts, Emily Moyers. Hello. And Kyle Imperator. Ole. Always how he introduces himself. Yep, every time. Listen, you two, this is going to be tricky. Uh-oh. I feel like uh. <laughs> I really introduced the Lexiconicon in our Halloween episode as yeah. something spooky, something scary, oh. something mm-hmm. with ancient word wisdom that could knock you so hard on your ass you have to spit it out. Yeah, and now you have to make it holly and jolly. Uh, Yeah, this is the Christmas episode, and I want us to realize that is as spooky as the Lexiconicon can be. It can also be sweet and heartwarming and Christmassy. It's like a Sour Patch Kid. Oh, first they're spooky, then they're sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's the sub. That's the subtitle of the Lexiconicon. <laughs> now, admittedly, today isn't going to be all Christmas all the time, but we've got a little surprise for you at the end. So just just hang on to that holiday spirit. A present? Hold tight. It's a little present. I put it right there under a our gift. Christmas tree. With a little label that said, do not open until end of episode. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of like scary and ominous to put on a gift. <laughs> There's kind of a wick that's lit coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And every time I pick it up, I throw it to someone else real fast. <laughs> for, for a bit of background, the reason I'm hosting today, again, is to give old Emily and Kyle some time off, but also to revisit some content we had to cut out of my earlier episode, because oh. Christmas is all about me. (laughs) But before I get into exactly what it was that was cut out of that earlier episode, I'm going to ask you two, in true butter no parsnips fashion, Mm -hmm. what you two think ulipo means. (gasps) O-U-L-I-P-O. Ulipo, actually, it's pronounced. Ulipo. You've definitely you do you, so th- is th- this is cut content from the Halloween episode, right? Yes, yes, yes. Because you definitely asked us this, and I said, "Isn't that that singer?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now, while you're both thinking, it is perhaps important for me to place a trigger warning here for some of our sensitive listeners. <sighs> There will be some mention of the French in this episode. Their people, their language, their practices. If you are someone who is particularly fragile to the French disposition, I highly suggest you turn this podcast off. If you or a loved one do happen to be French yourselves, may God have mercy on your souls. (laughs) May God have mercy on your souls. Oh! Wow. (laughs) Wow. Mercy for that, Kyle. Also, get ready because there is a lot of French and I don't know how to pronounce any of it. Love it. I think think Kyle has made our opinions on the French clear (laughs) in past episodes. No, that was Patreon content, Emily. Oh, okay. That's right, everybody. If you want to hear these two hate the French, you got to pay, baby. (laughs) Okay, Ulipo. 
is I feel like it's a a, um, a Jennifer a Coolidge catchphrase. Ooh, lipo. <laughs> yeah, can you give us give us like one more Jennifer Coolidge? Catchphrase. Catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, what one that she, the woman, the actress has. <laughs> she said, yeah, Jennifer Coolidge. She's <laughs> Every like time in she's interviews. on the red carpet. Yeah, yeah they say, she's Jen, like, Jen, hey. And then she says, Suck on my pretzel nibs, <gasps> you turd face. <laughs> oh. Mike, I am isolating that and sending it right to her she's having a renaissance right now she is white lotus congrats i assume <laughs> Kyle is hope, just alienating people left and right <laughs> you don't know she might be french <laughs> we might have already covered her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah she's, <laughs> she's already stopped listening. <laughs> no, Ulipa. Is it a is it a noun? It is a it, it is it is a noun. I mean if this was leftover content from the Halloween episode, is it related to anagrams? I that's that would be my anagrams would might be my guess. My best guess. Thank you. And good night. <laughs> uh, I hate when he drinks before we record. <laughs> I hate it so I much. Think, I think we should get to talk about the the my anagrams. <laughs> All right, Seth, we relent. Wait, here, ready, Emily? On three, oh, we'll both guess at the same time. It'll be the same word. Okay. Oh, okay. Ready? Here we go. Wow, Emily is bursting with enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Emily. Uh, ready? One, two, three. Mash taters. <laughs> you didn't get. Wow, you two both said it so quick and fast at the same time. Our audience probably didn't hear it because you said it the same pitch, frequency, right. rate. It was I incredible. I did my amazing no. Kyle impression. These two. Ha- I, this is a mind meld if ever I have seen one. Um, so close, <clears throat> so close, really close. But it's but this is actually sort of a trick question because Ulipo really only refers to itself because Ulipo is actually an acronym for the French Ouvroir de Littérature Potentielle or Workshop for Potential Literature. Oh. Yeah. And the way that acronym works, it's the first two letters of each of those words. Ah. Unfortunately, this means we have to jump straight into the French stuff. I'm not going to lie to you. I actually love everything that is French because they just have managed to do everything crazy all the time. Just throughout That's all right. of history, they've always brought it to 11. Yeah. And so I'm going to I'm going to tell you that you two have actually had a slight brush with the world of Ulipo before this episode. Whoa. Oh. And it wasn't the Halloween episode. Do you have any what? idea what episode that might have been? So I'll tell you that it was say, Emily's episode. What did it translate to again? Workshop for Potential Literature. Emily, uh, what, uh, might it have been picaresque? Are you asking uh, Emily? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I've got it. I've got the answer on a card here. <laughs> Let me just open the envelope like the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Argentina. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of any of the words that you did. You got like 20 episodes in the bag, and we've eliminated 10 of them. <laughs> is this like a very modern thing? Is it a very modern it, it is, word? It is. It like is. modern. Modern. Hey, you got it. Uh, yes, wow. it is spaghettification. Spaghettification. Oh man, let's. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So I'm going to try to condense this. So make sure you are hanging on. Okay. I'm going to be talking for a little bit, but I promise one day, one day I will put together a full episode, maybe even a series for Butter No Parsnips on what's called pataphysics and the world (gasps) around it. Because I literally have multiple books on this subject matter in my my own personal library. But today is not that day. That's my right. brain is gonna be splayed by the end when, of this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when I was writing my notes for spaghettification, you were like, "Are you gonna talk about this?" And I was like, "I don't think we have time." <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> yes. not. Yeah. I refuse. No. And that's why we're here today. So, oh, are you no. ready? <laughs> How is <laughs> right. no. Mary? Yay! Okay, <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> it happened in the spaghettification episode because the playwright, Alfred Jerry, the man who wrote the King Ubu play in 1896, is 
the inventor of what's known as pataphysics, which is spelled apostrophe P-A-T-A physics, one word. And pataphysics is a, quote, parody of science or, quote, the science of imaginary solutions, end quote. The thing about pataphysics, though, is that Jerry literally invented it. And definitions that followed are all very airy, loose, sort of heady nonsense. But that's also the point. And it's all elaborated in essays and novels by Jerry, like the paramount exploits and opinions of Dr. Faustral pataphysician, which, again, I will not get into for the sake of time, but there are a (laughs) lot of fun things. They have their own calendar, their own words. They're a lot like the Hermetic Order, except fun and can take a joke. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is it all um, as like, sorry. <laughs> Said a man walking in with a robe and exposed genitals. <laughs> you tell me I can't take a friggin' joke here? Oh. Emily, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to ask, are, are all of his writings as completely surreal and gaga doo nonsense as King Ubu? Yes, they are, because he made pataphysics like a part of of everything like it was a part of everything he did and i didn't realize so, that he created uh pataphysics from whole cloth i thought there that was like a field that he was like a part oh of. no like a no no he, is, he was a part he, of no he is the founder of the school of thought oh, wow um, wow yeah, because because Jerry's invention of pataphysics invited a world of artists and writers and thinkers and all of the like to come swarming, seeking the next weird, wonderful thing in an era when Dadaism and surrealism and futurism were all on the up and up. And this eventually led in 1948, 31 years after the passing of Jerry himself, to the founding of the Collège de Pataphysique, which was <gasps> a, quote, Society committed to learned and inutilious research. Oh, my Quote, God. Inutilious there is not a word, but means useless. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I, that, that's what it sounded like. So yeah. very yeah. good. It's so good. Word. It's so yeah. good. So here we are. We're at the college. Oh, oh it's nice. It smells. It's roomy. Yeah, yeah, it probably doesn't smell too good. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you guys, we can't make any more insults about the French. <laughs> <laughs> so so we're at the college. So this is a very big world. And so much of it exists within itself. So like there's so many different communities and they sort of like talk about the thing amongst themselves and it's sort of exclusive that way. So it's mm-hmm. sort of difficult mm-hmm. to get a lot of the information. So I'm, I'm really just going off of what Wikipedia is telling me because I couldn't buy any books because they're all in French. <laughs> and you can't, you couldn't buy them because you refuse to buy French books, right? <laughs> I, I, I cannot. <laughs> Deal with the French language. <laughs> you guys, seriously, we gotta tone it back. <laughs> no, so first, there is a hierarchy. And at the top of that hierarchy is the permanent head of the college, the inamovable curator, Dr. Faustrol, assisted by Bassa Dinage. Do you recognize that name from before? Dr. Faustrol? Uh, it was in yes. that, that long line of things that you read that I sort of half paid attention to. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So it is. <laughs> We're it not is, taking great notes. <laughs> <laughs> it is the name of the main character from Jerry's Exploits and Opinions of Dr. Faustrol, Pataphysician. Okay. He is a fictional man. Right? Uh, yeah, so I'm sorry. So wait, is this college like a real place? No, it's not a real building, but it is a real organization. Ah. Yes. Led by a fictional character. Led by two fictional characters because assisted by Bassa Dinaj. Bassa Dinaj is a monkey in that book who (gasps) even within the book has an uncertain existence. Oh my God. God. Yes. (laughs) Like Schrodinger's monkey? Basically what happens in the book is they go on this adventure and while they're on this adventure, this monkey Bassa Dinaj is there, but the monkey dies before they return from their adventure. So the character that encounters the monkey is left wondering if the monkey ever existed because the world exists in such imaginary terms. And it's very fun. Oh my gosh. That's the permanent head of the college. No one will ever replace Dr. Faustrol. But then there is the vice curator who is, quote, the first and most senior living entity in the college's hierarchy. And today, that vice curatrice is Tanya Piaxoto, who's from an offshoot of the original college called the London Institute of Pataphysics, which was established in 2000 in an effort to promote pataphysics in English speakers. So I love Tanya. I'm uh, sorry. And, and this there's, is a real human being? There's a real person today that is vice 
mistress? What'd you call her? She's referred to as a vice curator, but the actual role is as a magisterium. There have been five magisters. <laughs> and Tanya should be very honored because she is not French. She is not a man. And she fills some pretty big and wet shoes oh. uh, because oh. her predecessor. Oh, like that. Is it, uh, is it that that uh, that diver guy? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know Pierre. what made Kyle think Pierre. he was ahead of you. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He definitely has this. <laughs> that diver guy. He knows him by heart. He was ready to commit to that diver guy. <laughs> Kyle, an expert in pataphysics. <laughs> and diver guys. <laughs> uh, wow, um, wow. <laughs> Good one, Kyle. Why don't you let Seth talk now, okay? Yeah, good. I got no. him all sorted out. Her, uh, <laughs> Tanya Piaxoto's uh, predecessor was Her Magnificence Lutembi, who was an African crocodile. Right, yeah. Because uh, the electoral process within the ranks of the Collège de Pataphysics I mixed languages there. Basically, the rules are so convoluted and mixed up that the the actual voting power winds up landing in the hands of one person. And so that one person basically says, nope, this person's the new person. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so for like, I think it was for like nine years, Lutembi, the African crocodile, was the vice curator of the Collège de Pataphysics. There have been some very notable members of the Collège, uh, artists such as Marcel Duchamp, who is known <gasps> for The Fountain, which was like one of the early Dada pieces. Uh, Man Ray, who is another surrealist Dadaist. Oh, Max sure. Ernst, Eugene Ionesco. But probably the most fun for me to have discovered in this process was that the Marx brothers were members of the college of pataphysics. Wow. Yeah, and and that's especially interesting because members are, don't apply; they're selected. And the word that they actually use for that is co-opted. So they they co-opt new members. So funny. But okay, all right. <laughs> I've been going on. So talk to me. How are we feeling so far? This is obviously a lot. Where did I leave some questions to be answered? I've been deep in this world. <laughs> uh, my biggest question, but maybe it's too big to answer, is like, what, 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 is, what are the actual schools of thought in pataphysics? Wow. <laughs> Emily. Bad question, Emily. A little... What a little wonderful little thing you just said. Emily, such a bad question. I what like a beautiful little thing I, you just said. Emily, we're Because the die. year is 1960. And Ooh. the Collège des Pataphysiques welcomes a subcommittee founded by writer Raymond Cuno, titled Seminaire de Littérature Experimentale. And that oh. becomes, at their second meeting, mm. Ouvoir de Littérature Potentielle. Aha. Ulipo. So the college basically dedicated itself to just these kind of experiments in the imagination. And so subcommittees like this would form where people were just sort of focused on a, on a sort of school of thought that just was based in absolute nonsense. Now, I'm not familiar with many others besides, like, I'm not familiar with other subcommittees that formed from the pataphysical world, but I know that there are pataphysical, there's a pataphysical band that I love. I do not understand what that means. Um, oh, wait, what's, uh, what's the band? Reverend Fred Lane. Uh, he's, uh, that's that, it's that free jazz guy that I love who, who screams yeah, and yeah, shouts yeah. and scats real bad. Oh, it's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the idea for the ouvoir or workshop stemmed from an earlier colloquium on Raymond Cuneau's work. Now, Cuneau took a great fascination in mathematics and used math in his writing. The work that would be the direct spark for Ulippo is a book of his titled 100,000 Billion Poems, or in a more loyal translation, 100 million million poems. Now, right off the bat, what are you thinking? It's a big book. <laughs> I'm thinking... <laughs> gonna need that's, a bigger book. That's, that's gonna be one big book. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine it actually has that many poems, or if it does, it's really stretching the meaning of poem. I like that. I like that thought. So, due to the immense weight Cuneau placed on math, the way it worked is he wrote 10 individual sonnets, 140 lines each. 
And the way the book would be published was each line was on a strip of its own. And each of the sonnets had the same rhyme scheme and same rhyme sounds. So you could turn any of the strips and technically create a totally new poem, equaling in the end a possibility of a hundred thousand billion different poems. Oh wow. my gosh. That's like the the fridge magnet approach. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, he he got the idea from uh, children's flip books. Like he saw these children's flip books and he was like, I could do something with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and he did it with the help of mathematician and co-founder of Ulipo, Francois Le Leonese. And I think with that, we have arrived at the heart of the beast. Because what Olipo is, is not necessarily what I shared with you in those never heard clips of the Halloween episode, but rather a school of thought that includes those never heard clips, which we're going to get into right now. Okay. Olipo is constrained writing, writing with rules, and not just the rules of writing, like character, plot, setting, etc., but grammatical constraints, semantic constraints, the kind of constraints you don't tell your mother about. Real constraints. (laughs) And Cuneau and Le Lyonnaise were like big fans of this. And a good example of how these sorts of constraints aren't as black and white as numbers alone, like 100 billion Oh, God, I forget how many, 100,000 billion different poems. <laughs> it's just um, a trillion. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> a good example of how it's not as black and white as numbers is Kuno's work, Exercises in Style. And I love this. Oh, man, <laughs> I love everything about this. So Exercises in Style is a book recounting the same meaningless event 99 times. <gasps> but every time in a different style. And I don't mean, oh, romantic, oh, gothic, oh, Americana. I mean, well, okay, let me let me show you what I mean. So oh, the first, yeah, pictures. The first chapter of the book, oh, I'm going to read to you, Kyle. Um, oh, okay. Mind <laughs> pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but you're just reading this to Kyle? I got to... <laughs> yeah, Emily, could I gotta you close go. your ears? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, the first chapter of the book is notation style. So... In the S-bus, in the rush hour, a chap of about 26, felt hat with a cord instead of a ribbon, neck too long, as if someone's been having a tug of war with it, people getting off. The chap in question gets annoyed with one of the men standing next to him. He accuses him of jostling him every time anyone goes past. A sniveling tone, which is meant to be aggressive. When he sees a vacant seat, he throws himself onto it. Two hours later, I meet him in the Cour de Rome, in the front of Guerre Saint-Lazare. He's with a friend who's saying, you ought to get an extra button put on your overcoat. He shows him where, at the lapels, and why. So that's notation style. But the next chapter is called Double Entry. To the middle of the day and at midday, I happened to be on and got on the platform and the balcony at the back of an S-line and of the Contrascarpe Champerette bus and passenger transport vehicle, which was packed and to all intents and purposes full. I saw and noticed a young man and an old adolescent who was rather ridiculous and pretty grotesque, thin neck and skinny windpipe, string and cord round his hat and tile. After a scrimmage and scuffle, he says and states in a lachrymose and sniveling voice and tone that his neighbor and fellow traveler is deliberately trying and doing his utmost to push him and obtrude himself on him every time anyone gets off and makes an exit. This having been declared and having spoken, he rushes headlong and wends his way toward a vacant and free space and seat. Two hours after and 127 minutes later, I meet him and see him again in the Cour de Rome and in front of the Guerre Saint-Lazare. He is with and in the company of a friend and pal who is advising and urging him to have a button and vegetable ivory disc added and sewn onto his overcoat so and So it's just everything twice. So much happened there. That's the double twice. entry style. I really like that a lot. That's fun. The next chapter is surprises. <laughs> Just surprises. Oh, no. How tightly packed in we were on that bus platform, and how stupid and ridiculous that young man looked. And what was he doing? Well, if he wasn't actually trying to pick a quarrel with a chap who, so he claimed, the young fop, kept on pushing him. And then he didn't find anything better to do than to rush off and grab a seat which had become free, instead of leaving it for a lady. Two hours after, guess whom I met in front of the Gare Saint-Lazare? The same fancy pants being given some sartorial advice by a friend. You'd never believe it! (laughs) What? It's like the Cosmo Kramer delivery. It was just a surprise for the narrator, not for yeah. 
That's the whole thing. There's another one which is retrograde, which is the story told backward. There's another yeah. one which is metaphorically, which the whole thing is in metaphor. There's and 99 there's, of these. There's 99 oh of them. And the list includes other things like gastronomical tellings and things oh like that. And it's God. just like, what does that mean? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you both right now that I bought the book instantly. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> to be fair, constraints existed before Aleppo, but Aleppo's goal was to produce new constraints and to use those constraints to tell new stories. Interestingly, we've probably all experienced Ulipo before in lower grade English classes, probably during a poetry curriculum. Can either of you conjure an idea of what I might be talking about? Sort of creative poetry assignments or like general prose assignments? I mean, we could go back to ABC to read. I would, I, I mean. Yeah, I was going like, to say acrostics. Like, yeah. Yes. So so acrostics and uh, abecedarius, I think it's called abecedarius, um, yeah. types of, of, which are kinds of acrostics, I think you covered. Those acrostics in alphabetical order. Yeah, 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 yeah. And those are the kind of forms that Lipens would mess around with for sure 100%. It's not something that I necessarily have covered here, but one of the one of the examples that I was going to give, which is something that I think got popular on Twitter for a little bit was uh snowball or ropalism. And I'm going to give you an example of ropalism and maybe you can tell me what you think the form requires. So this is an example written by Dimitri Borgman. I do not know where family doctors acquired illegibly perplexing handwriting. Nevertheless, extraordinary pharmaceutical intellectuality, counterbalancing indecipherability, transcendentalizes intercommunications incomprehensibleness. I think every word was one letter longer than the last. Bingo, oh, Emily. Nice. Absolutely. Yes, that is that is exactly right. So ropalism comes from the Greek ropalic, which means like a club, thicker toward the end. Oh. And it's a style of poetry wherein each succeeding word gains a letter. And this form can be played with, so you don't necessarily need to add a letter to each word. You can start with a line and you can have multiple words on each line so long as each line gains another letter. Gains a letter, yeah. Yeah, and it's uh it's a lot of fun, but that yeah, is definitely. that is a that is a form of ulipo writing. Another yeah. form of ulipo writing which is kind of fun is a lipogram, which believe it or not does not come from ulipo, but comes <laughs> from lipogrammatos, uh, which is Greek meaning leaving out a letter and oh, is a style oh. that means just that. So unlike a pangram, which uses every letter of the alphabet in a single sentence, a lipogram leaves out leaves, sorry, a lipogram leaves out a letter or a set of letters from an entire work. Okay. Does oh, that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So like, you know, a whole sentence that doesn't contain the letter E. Oh, Emily. Emily, why start so small? The constantly <laughs> cited example of this is George Perec's 300-page novel Avoid, or La Disparition, wherein the author avoids the letter E entirely. Oh my 300 God. Oh my God. pages. Seriously. <laughs> it's, it's incredible because E is literally the most common letter of the alphabet. It is yeah, the most common letter of like the English French, alphabet. too. And in the French alphabet, yes. In fact, a translation of this work into Spanish made a point to omit the letter A instead. Oh, because that's more common. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the book goes even further in that it's a parody of a noir and horror that has the crux focusing on a missing companion, Anton Vowell, spelled V-O-W-L. So funny. So funny. And it refers regularly to its own handicap in not being able to use a certain thing. Yeah. And I felt it was really important to add an excerpt here because it's literally incredible. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Noon rings out. A wasp, making an ominous sound, a sound akin to a klaxon or toxin, flits about. Augustus, who has had a bad night, sits up blinking and purblind. Oh, what was that word, is his thought, that ran through my brain all night, that idiotic word, hard as I'd try to pun it down, was always just an inch or two out of my grasp, foul or foul or vow or vile, a word which, by association, brought into play an incongruous mass— a magma of nouns, idioms, slogans, and sayings, a confusing, amorphous outpouring which I sought in vain to control or turn off, but which wound around my mind a whirlwind of cord, 
A whiplash of a chord, a chord that would split again and again, would knit again and again of words without communication or any possibility of combination, words without pronunciation, signification, or transcription, but out of which, notwithstanding, was brought forth a flux, a continuous, compact, and lucid flow, an intuition, a vacillating frisson of illumination, as if caught in a flash of lightning or in a mist abruptly rising to unshroud an obvious sign, but a sign, alas, that would last an instant only to vanish for good. That was from Hamilton, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's all without an E! (laughs) Yeah, it's just crazy because it's like, listening to it, your brain's like, no, there must be an E in there. And then you start thinking about each word and it's like, no, 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 no. Well, what's even more amazing is to top himself, George Perec later wrote Les Revenances, in which E is the only vowel that's used. <laughs> oh my god. <gasps> no. And I wanted to find an excerpt, but that one has not been translated. But it is perhaps worth mentioning that uh, revenance translates to revenues, uh, which might have just been, you know, a cash grab. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> but lipograms are actually like a whole world of their own. The fact that they come from Greek isn't a coincidence. Like people have been playing around with like excluding letters well before Lippo made it a practice. But I'm already I'm already running over with a lot of this stuff. So let me cover a couple other styles that Ulippo tackles and these are just sort of the styles that wikipedia kind of covered because like that was my easiest route into an actual collection of these styles there are handbooks which i've bought there are (laughs) style books there are essay books all covering what lippo is all about because these societies exist today and still work on these things and there are still people who do this stuff yeah um, i you know i like it because it's like it's like um uh, the diver think guy. tank. It's like a, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Kyle's back at it. It's like a, it's like a think tank, but for writing styles. Literally, and it's it's interesting you say that because I did find something while I was researching, which was an essay about Ulipo and how eventually people started to get upset with Ulipo because there was no political element, whereas a lot of artistic movements sort of gained. Oh like sort of had a a purpose and sort of had a reason to exist that like was sort of bigger than themselves. A lot of critics came out and were just like, you're making art for no purpose. Like you're not, you're not doing it to any end, which is an interesting thing that you would say think tank because think tanks are specifically sort of put together to get to an end. But yes, it is very much so. But I mean, it does, it does have a purpose. I mean, the purpose was just to broaden the horizons of literature. I mean, I, I don't know that, like at its core, it seems like it's pretty purposeful. It's just really open ended. I I agree so wholly with you because yeah. like even just reading that piece, I was just like, this just sort of seems like you're casting assumptions upon them. Like it's just sort of like you yeah. you, you, you kind of just saying like you're not giving me what I want, and so I hate you yeah, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. And like um, art for its own sake is meaningless. <laughs> yeah, like like I I think that's why it's so attractive to me is it's because it's like it's so earnest. Yeah, how much yeah. these people wanted to just create something together and make weird stuff. That's what we're all about. Yeah, we're all about Seth's weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of weird stuff, there's something that sort of falls under lipograms, but is a little different because it's typographical in nature. So uh, this is called the prisoner's constraint or the Macau constraint. And it's a kind of lipogram that omits what are called ascenders and descenders. Do you know what I mean when I say ascenders and descenders in typography? No. Um, so I'm thinking of my diver guy friend, and so he descends and he ascends. Um, does it have anything to do with the bends? Uh, wow, you're like a mind reader there, huh, pal? (laughs) Um, No, uh, so in typography, ascenders and descenders are letters that reach the ascender or descender height of the typeface. So all capital letters are ascending, where lowercase letters like G, P, Q, and Y are all descending. 
Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, so you can't use any of those? So, yeah. So the prisoner's constraint gets rid of ascenders and descenders. So you would not be able to use G, P, Q, and Y, but you'd also not be able to use any capital letters or B, D, F, H, J, K, L, and T. Yeah. I love that. I love that visually. Like, that is, like, really cool. I'm, like, picturing it. But I don't even know what you would write. Literally, the next thing that I just, yes, that is what I had written is (laughs) is it might not be so fun to read from the perspective of something like noticeably missing there. But it might be an interesting time just for your eyes, which are used to the sort of camel backing of letters. Yeah. Another one that was really difficult to find an, an, an example of, but which I love is called style s-t-i-l-e oh like ryan yes (laughs) yeah well yes one (laughs) of the many ryan styles (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) um i couldn't find any examples of this and i think it might have something to do with the language barrier and i did order a book that has a collection of alippo so if it winds up being the case that there are some examples i'll try to share them like i literally couldn't find any examples of this online anywhere Mm -hmm. so what it means is so complicated, but I'm going to give you an example and you'll, you'll get it. Sure. <laughs> I descend the long ladder brings me to the ground floor is spacious. One more time slower. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah. I descend the long ladder brings me to the ground floor is spacious. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's like the, the end of the sentence is the beginning of the next sentence. Yeah, it's not necessarily even sentences. It's like clauses. Like it sort of clauses. exploits yeah. the elements of speech to allow for like semantic pivots. I like that a lot. Yeah. It's so good. In my head, I was like, maybe I can just write an example of this. And then I tried and I was like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> As I was searching online, there were folks who were claiming that Miss Susie had a steamboat might be an example of this. Oh, that famous thing that we all know. You'll know it once I start. So uh, Miss Susie had a steamboat. The steamboat had a bell. Miss Susie went to heaven. The steamboat went to hello, operator. Please dial number nine. And if you disconnect me, I'll kick you from behind the refrigerator. They lay a piece of glass. Do you you know that? Do you guys not know that? No, I didn't. I know. That's, that was yeah, like a hand yeah, clap yeah. game at summer camp. Yeah, 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 exactly. And there were people who were saying that this is an example of style. And I feel like because I all mean, of these... I mean, like, that's just like a vaudeville act. I yeah, feel like they're yeah. all written like that. But I think you're you're allowed to say that that is technically an Olympian approach to that sure. sort of thing. Sure, um, sure. And I think technically you could say that that is style because everything here is loose. Like the whole point is... yeah. There's a great quote, which is from, I believe, Kuno, which is that Ulipo is building the labyrinth from which we, the rats, must escape. (laughs) And so you could probably claim that that is style. Although, let me tell you, Reddit got real upset when someone did try to claim that. (laughs) So funny. But that's a whole lot of Ulipo. We've got one more bit. And then we can wrap this thing up, believe it or not. How are, how are you right. two doing? How are you feeling wrap about these different styles? <laughs> I mean, I honestly, I really, I mean, like the, I don't know, it just, the idea of all of those different universes of ways of writing, I don't know, that's fascinating to me. Oh my yeah. God. Yes. And like, I feel like it's useful, like it can be useful on like on a smaller scale for like just writing characters that you want to have a certain style to them or i don't know that's really interesting no i want to ask you both do you remember what it was that i said was ulipo in the halloween episode it's replacing nouns with yes. other nouns yes yeah yes oh yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> yes emily man you are on a roll today uh, <laughs> yeah i i took all kyle's brain cells and put them in my brain <laughs> <laughs> um so it came up during the conversation about richard brody and mike mike keith who had written the anagrammatized version of the bible you remember that well they had both written as well an anagrammatized version of moby dick oh huh? your fave my fave <gasps> And they applied an Ulipan form called N plus 7. Now, right. you already remembered N plus 7 in its the fundamental elements of N plus 7. But basically, N plus 7 is a formula you apply to your writing where every noun, N, is replaced by the noun that comes seventh after it in whatever dictionary you're using to apply this formula. 
And I don't know if you two remember, but you two had given me descriptions of your day when we'd initially recorded it. And I put those descriptions through an N plus seven generator. So here again are those days as read by myself. And then you will read your N plus seven days. Okay. So this was Kyle's day. This morning, I was startled awake by a knock at the door. It was mother. Come to fetch me for an early outing. We're going to leave without you, she threatened, as if I had any interest in joining, and a world where I was left behind wasn't the better one. And here is Kyle's N plus seven day. This mortgage, I was startled awake by a knuckle at the doorway. It was motor, come to fetch me for an early outpouring. We're going to leave without you, she threatened, as if I had any interlocutor in joining, and a wound where I was left behind wasn't the bicentenary one. (laughs) And this was Emily's day that day. Does the morning off outweigh the working late? Do the friendly co-workers outweigh the obnoxious customers? Does the paycheck outweigh the weariness of both body and soul? These questions plague my drive home yet quickly fade away with a warm home-cooked meal and a cozy murder mystery. And this was Emily's N plus seven day. Does the mortgage off outweigh the workstation late? Do the friendly cowpox outweigh the obnoxious cyclamens? Does the paycheck outweigh the weather glass of both boiler and south? (laughs) These quicksands plague my dromedary homily, yet quickly fade away with a warm homily-cooked measure and a cozy mush nanny. I forgot about dromedary homily and cozy mush nanny. Those are now our new mascots, right? The dromedary homily and the cozy mush nanny. Dromedary homily and cozy mush nanny are my new parents. (laughs) (laughs) It's like cat dog. Um, uh, As anyone listening can sort of discern, what happens is you sort of get a whole new story. Now, the generator I put that through isn't exactly perfect. Obviously, there were some words that were missed in some words that were confused as as not nouns and changed anyway, but it still winds up being a good time. And I feel like for me, N plus seven is like a really great way to get like wayward high schoolers interested in English, Absolutely. where it's like, just write anything, literally anything. And we're going to make that interesting without even trying. It, re- it reminds me of that great translation of the story of Little Red Riding Hood. ladle rat rotten hut where it's all of the words are completely different and like if you read it as a sentence it doesn't make any sense but if you mad gab it (laughs) and read it out loud it is the story of of little red riding hood i mean that is definitely an approach to writing that would be like that would fall under this category of Aleppo for sure like one thousand percent but n plus seven is literally just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to mathematic Aleppo. you'll remember that one of the co-founders of Aleppo was a mathematician lelezon uh, or lelezon whatever his name is and you know but that author george perec who had written the void also wrote another piece called Life, a user's manual. And it's a novel in which he envisioned an apartment block 10 stories tall and 10 stories across. And then to tell the story, he applied the Knight's Tor algorithm. So the Knight's Tor algorithm is the algorithm that determines how a knight in chess is able to visit every spot on a chessboard. Oh. So And he applied this to a a work of literature? Yes. What? This is like it here. This is like what Aleppo <laughs> is all about. So he applied the Knight's Tour algorithm to his setup of the building. So he had drawn the building out 10 stories tall, 10 rooms across. And he basically said, I'm going to use this algorithm to determine the motion of the story based on the motion of the knight on this chessboard. So oh my God. it starts in whatever room of the building and then the next part of the book is in this room of the building and then this next part of the book is in this room of the building and it follows the knight's door. I mean, does he does he name the rooms beforehand? Is it like Clue? Yes. So the drawing that he has is literally of the apartment building and he has the, he, he has the chess piece in his brain and he says, well, if we start here, this is where the story starts. We're going to apply the Knight's Tour algorithm and... 
that is how that story will proceed. That is how I will write that story from there on out. If we're in this room, then the next chapter is going to be in this room based on where the night goes. So like life, a user's manual is like constantly cited as like a premier example of Ulipo because it is an algorithm applied to a work, but not in the same direct manner that N plus seven is. It's not as grammatical and semantic. It is, I'm going to write a story and I need a skeleton with which to write that story. Yeah, yeah. it's like um it's like serialist if to to bring it to music, you know, you're kind of setting up all of your parameters yes. before you make the creative decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That is exactly Honestly, what it sounds very helpful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. A lot of people will bring up Ulipo when they're like I have writer's block and I need to work within yeah. constraints. That's what Ulipo is all about, which is actually a Stravinsky quote is like constraints free the soul. Like constraints give you freedom yeah. because you have to work within those constraints and you have to fill that space and it's just it's just brilliant it's just all yeah, so good and beautiful is. and i love it <laughs> yeah that's pretty great yeah that's super cool this is a this is a big writer's episode if you're a writer out there this is your episode <laughs> yeah like my brain you. is teeming i know right i, I want to yeah. write a story now kyle tell us tell us what your story would be about <laughs> my story would be about a little uh sea urchin that oh, no. rolled too far from home. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so this isn't like an Olympian story. This is just this is just Kyle's big adventure story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I and there's I... like a lot there's like a lot of imprinting of my life on the sea okay. urchin. I think I might have missed we might have missed a second there where I thought you were gonna do like an Olympian story, but I guess hey, whatever comes to your beautiful heart, Kyle. <laughs> um so uh uh, so, so the, you know, okay. So this is again. This is just a few forms of Aleppo, and there are so many more forms. And there's still people out there who are working on forms of Aleppo. Like I mentioned, yeah. the Collège des Pataphysiques still exists, and they still have meetings, and they still have events. And Aleppo, interestingly, is what I wanted to mention way earlier. Aleppo has come to really eclipse. The school, the College of, of Pataphysics. And pataphysics. Like, it's come to a point where Olippo is the more recognized institution where, where pataphysics sort of fell to the wayside, probably because of the issue we were having earlier where I couldn't really tell you what a group of pataphysicians do together, you know? Oh, right. 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 But that's it. That's that's it on Olippo. That's Amazing. all. All right. Yeah. I mean, truly mind blasting. I, I could not tackle everything if I tried, and I will, but not here and not now. <laughs> um, but what do you, you know, what do you two think? What do you two think of it? I mean, honestly, truly, like my brain is splayed open, like <laughs> like I was fearing at the beginning, but in a good way. Yeah, I feel so like inspired to go do stuff. Yeah, now. really, that, truly, right? Like that is exactly how I felt. Like where it's just like, yeah. Ah, these people are just doing stuff. <laughs> I could do stuff. <laughs> yeah, this Christmas, do stuff. <laughs> yeah, to, which... To... I'm just making it clear that this is our holiday episode, in case <laughs> yeah, anyone forgot. <laughs> oh, no, don't worry. They're not going to forget because um, it is time to give the audience what they want and what they've been waiting for. Because you've all been such good little boys and girls and others that you deserve a treat. So do you, you too, you and Emily, um, okay. you and Emily, because okay. this podcast is directed at Kyle. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> That's what I'm learning today. So, uh, so what do you say? And what do you, what do you say? You two go go on over there and unwrap what's under that tree over there. Go on. <gasps> unwrapping oh. sounds. Unwrapping sounds together. Uh, oh, they're so slimy and wet heart. and like mouth sounds. <laughs> No, why would you do this, Seth? Why would you do this? Oh, God. I forgot I wrapped him in jello. <laughs> no, they could have been totally innocent sounds. <laughs> no, Why'd you, you put you another are... burp in there? <laughs> no, you two are probably wondering what you got there in your hands, don't you? Yeah, what is it, Dad? What is it? As, as, as good as the descriptions of your days were, truly, Dromedary Homily is going to live with me forever. I figured it is the season. 
So what I've done is I've prepared an N plus seven version of Twas the Night Before Christmas using the help of Spoonbill.org, which is an interesting site and I advise you all check it out. I made a few edits where the generator was a little iffy on discerning nouns from verbs, but other than that, this is a pretty true to form. But before we wish you a good night, we want you to know that Butternut Parsnips is taking a holiday break, so there won't be a new episode next week. We'll be back in the new year on January 9th. Remember, you can like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Butter No Parsnips Podcast, and you can support us on patreon.com slash Parsnips. There, for just $5 a month, you can gain access to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, Buttered Parsnips, and earn shout-outs online and on air. So quickly, thank you to Lori M., Pensive Primate, Rob R., Day D., Heather B., and Monica of Tots Music for all your support. You've helped make this year a great one for the BNP team. Kissy noises. <laughs> and with all that out of the way... Kyle and Emily let loose the spirit of Christmas. Twas the nightlight before chump, when all through the household not a creel was stirring, not even a movement. The stomps were hung by the Caropodus with caribou in hornets that St. Nicholas soon would be there. <laughs> the chimeras were nestled all snug in their bedrooms, while vitamins of sultan pluralities danced in their headlamps. And manageress in her kerfuffle and I in my capitalism had just settled our brandishes for a long wishbones narration. When out on the layette there arose such a claudication, I sprang from my bedroom to see what was the maverick. Away to the winger I flew like a flask, tore open the sicknesses, and threw up the satyr. The mop on the breeder of the new-fallen snowman gave a lustiness of middies to oboes below. When what to my wondering eye-openers did appear but a miniature sling and eight tiny reinfections. With a little old droop so lively and quick, I knew in a money he must be Saint Nightclub. More rapid than earners his courtesans they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by nepropathy. Now dash canisite, now dark, now prank and voice, on commandant, on curd, on donner and blitzen, to the torch of the portcullis, to the torch of the wallpaper, now daughter-in-law away, daughter-in-law away, daughter-in-law away all. As lean-tos that before the wild hustle fly, when they meet with an occupier, mount to the slacker. So up to the howitzer the courtesans they flew, with the sling full of tracts and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinning I heard on the roommate the pranking and pawn of each little hoot. As I drew in my headlamp and was turning around, down the Caropodus St. Nicholas came with a boundarylessness. <laughs> <laughs> He was dressed all in fury from his headlamp to his footman, and his club were all tarnished with aspirants and sooth. A bunny of tracts he had flung on his back fire, and he looked like a pederast just opening his <laughs> paddock. His eye-openers, how they twinkled! His dinings, how merry! His cheetahs were like rotors, his notability like a chew! His droll little moviegoer was drawn up like a boxcar, and the Do beating the on his chisel was as white as the snowman. The sty of a pirouette he held tight in his teetotaler, and the smother, it encircled his headlamp like a wretch. He had a broad faction and a little round benediction that shook when he laughed like a box room full of jester. <laughs> he was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elm, and I laughed when I saw him in spitfire of myself. A wire of his eye-opener and a type of his headlamp soon gave me to know I had novelette to dread. He spoke not a workhouse, but went straight to his workbench and filled all the stomps, then turned with the jettison and laying his fur aside of his notability and giving a nomination up the caropodist he rose. <laughs> I just realized that's chimney. <laughs> he sprang to his sling, to his tearjerker gave a whole food, and away they all flew one. like the dows of a thread. But I heard him exclaim ere he drove out of sightliness, happy chump to all, and to all a good nightlight. Happy, happy chump, chump everybody! everybody. <laughs> 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 That's gonna sound perfect.